Welcome to Mouth Off. This is the official podcast of heyyouguys.co.uk. My name is John Lyson. Joining me, as always, we have Brendan Connolly from Bleeding Cool. And joining us again, fresh from his trip to Montreal to the Fantasia Festival, is Craig Skinner. We're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, that festival and what Craig got to see there. Um, but the films that are out this week, um, A-Team and Karate Kid, obviously... They're remakes from uh, from the 80s, and there's been an awful lot of this nostalgia going around, and we've talked about it more than once on the podcast, and uh, come up to the conclusion that pretty much, if it's a good film, then we're happy with it. But I wonder how these two are going to fare. We're going to focus on the karate, because that's that's the one that we think is, um, is pretty best, because it was a film as opposed to a TV series. Uh, Brendan has seen it, and I have seen it. Craig, you haven't seen it yet, have you? But are you familiar with the original one from 1980s? Yeah, I am. I'm also a bit of a Jackie Chan fan as well, so I, I kind of want to watch the remake, even if even if it might be that, even if it might be bad, just because I quite like Jackie Chan, to be honest. Um, um, Brendan, what, what about you? Before you went in to see the the Karate Kid, um, which is uh, Harold Swartz's uh, remake starring, of course, Jaden Smith and, and Jackie Chan, um, did you have any any uh, preconceptions going in and? Um, you know, about Jaden Smith, about Jackie I've seen the original one, and that's just rubbish. So I expected it to be better than that. Um, I've seen George Schwartz's earlier films, so I've got some idea what he'd like. Um, you know, I've seen Jaden Smith. He was admittedly a significant slice of his age older than when we last saw him on the, uh, on the big screen. So I didn't really know what to expect there. But Jackie Chan, you know, if you don't like, ja- if you don't like Jackie Chan, you're wrong. <laughs> I'll second that. Yeah, <laughs> I think you are, and I think that he was probably the only because the the thing about this is it's it's the Karate Kid, and it, it it's not up there with things like Back to the Future, and some would argue I know that you two wouldn't, but the Goonies. It's not the kind of one. It's not the kind of eighties um, uh, film that everyone immediately thinks of. It's got many many elements that, that kind of make it you know the big sort of power ballads and um, and everything. But it's uh, in my opinion the original film is is fun. It's a bit silly, and I think it 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 does what it does pretty well. But it's not. You know, it's not the kind of thing that you want never ever remade or never ever touched again. Um, I think bringing Jackie Chan um, to play uh, to play the role that, um, um, of, of Mr. Miyagi, if you like, I think there would, there, would, there would be no one else that, that you could have picked out to play that. He's obviously the um, uh, his, his name is Mr. Han here, and of course, there's one main thing: it's not karate, it's kung fu. Um, and there's, there was a lot of discussion about why it's set in China, and it's, it's called the Karate Kid. But all of that aside, and preconceptions of, of Jaden Smith, and I'm trying to think of the last time you saw Jaden Smith. Was it um, Day of the Earth Still? Or yeah, that was, that was the last one, I think. Um, he, there, there was a lot of uh, controversy about casting him simply because of the executive producers. It's, it's, it's Will Smith and uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, and this is, this is their little boy, isn't it? I've only seen Jaden Smith in The Day the Earth Stood Still. I know he's been in Pursuit of Happiness. Have either of you guys seen anything that he's been in before? Anything? Yeah, I've been mean, mm-hmm. both of those, and I've, I've seen him on, on television as well. Um, there's this thing called The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, which I've got. Uh, nephews and, and nieces that, that watch and he, he, he I, I'm assuming it was a guest appearance but he, he sort of rolled up in an episode of that okay and 
before we went into this, there was obviously a lot of people on on, on the internet, and pretty only on the internet, who were a bit, you know, uh, dubious about uh, about his ability. But um, Brendan, tell us what you thought of the film, what you thought of uh, Jade and Jackie combination. Well, immediately as the film started, I was feeling pretty good. I thought the first scene was quite good storytelling, actually, in the mm. way the way it used uh, the kid in his room and dropped his interest. And in it gave us a lot of backstory in a quite clear and cinematic way, which I thought was good. Yeah. yeah got on the plane in a nice way. Um, maybe the pace altered and the storytelling got started getting a little bit more lackadaisical when we actually got to, to China. And the further we got into the film, the more sort of narrative dead ends and questions arose. But I do think it's a significantly better film than the original. Uh, and, and that's not just because of the Jackie Chan factor, because Pat Morita did something very different than Jackie Chan did. But it's not like he was bad. I mean, he was the... He's the glowing light on the other film, right? I mean, he's the guy that contributes something worthwhile in the in the in the initial case. Um, obviously, Jackie Chan's got uh, different abilities and a different stick, and and there is a lovely little scene in the film where Jackie Chan can't quite beat up some kids. I mean, you can't really do that, <laughs> um, but he, you know, sort of um, disarms them in a sense. And and I found myself quite quite disarmed as well. It was like a little, hey kids, this is what a Jackie Chan film is like. You know what I mean? Get them while they're Getting them while they're young, little moment, and and I hope they sort of, you know, then then all rush off and get I don't know wheels on meals or whatever. But um, uh, I, I think um, overall, it's a pretty solid, straight down the middle film of moderate ambition. Jaden Smith is one of the weaker elements for for me. I think that when he's quiet and his mouth's not open, he's very persuasive and he's got. a wonderfully emotive little face and he looks like he's been beaten up a bit do you know what I mean I mean he looks hurt and then he opens his mouth and his line readings are just crap there's a little Chinese lad who's like his, his nemesis mm. much better much much better and very physically agile as well there's a scene where he's on his back and he just pops up onto his feet and it's like okay here we go they've actually got a real one here do you know what I mean they've got they've mm. got someone who's uh, got a bit of talent and I'm not I'm not sure if any of these little kids have been sort of like forced through, you know, the Peking Opera School or whatever, but they've definitely got some aptitude for bouncing off of things and jumping up and swinging around and twisting their body into interesting positions. That's it, and I have to say that, I mean, I, I agree with you in, entirely. When, 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 the, um, when the film opens, you've got um, a scene where basically Jaden Smith uh, as Dre and his mother are leaving for China, and uh, you've got, it, it's, it's the kind of scene that you could have spent an awful lot of time with some fairly, you know, dire exposition in it, but the way the way that they handle the way that the sort of Harold Swart handles it, as as you say, Brendan, is it's it's nice. It's showing, it's not telling, and um, I think that does set it up well. When you get to when you get to China, the the cliches begin to kind of kick in, and and the kind of momentum starts to pick up because a lot of people going into it will know. Um, you know where the story is going to go, and nothing about it will surprise you in any way. But it's done with, um, you know, a sort of a playful nod to the original, and then it distances itself in 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 many ways. I mean, the thing thing for me is there's um, the Jackie Chan. I think his presence um, is uh, is the is the main focus of, of of the film for me, and I think he's given more than um, than Pat Morita was given in the original, and that is a real strength of it because. There, there, there's a scene, and I'm not necessarily going to spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet. But there's a scene with Jackie Chan in his car, and it's it, do, it does slow down a little bit. But the, but Jackie Chan's performance in it really it, it kind of um, it really shone out for me, especially there. 
there's a twist with that car, isn't there, John? Mm, there is, actually. We shouldn't say too much about it, but there's a twist with that car where he changes his behaviour towards his car on a sixpence. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then and, we find out a bit like, more. That was good. But, but I mean, I, I was totally surprised. I was, I was sitting there, and the thing is, you had you had this this audience, and when I saw it, I saw it at a, a kind of an early screening, and there was tons of kids in the audience, and there was um, a lot of adults in there as well, and... Um, the the atmosphere was was great. People were really really enjoying it. It was it was funny when it needed to be. It was um, you know the the emotion was kind of laid on a little bit thick at times, but um, the action was 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 really good. I really enjoyed the chase through the uh, through, through the through the streets um, of China. I thought that that was sort of shot really well. Yeah, and you can actually see the kids are actually doing this stuff. That that's exactly right, but it, and and that leads to a, a problem I had with it. But I'll talk about that in a second. But it is that moment with Jackie Chan where it, it stopped being kind of a fun film and actually kind of engaged me a bit more on an emotional level, which is something that I never, ever expected to do because the spectacle is there. You've got, you know, China, you've got the Forbidden City, and you, you know, you've got the sort of the, the, the training academy. It's it's miles and miles away from, from the original with this sort of, you know, more sort of beachfront karate kid, um, sorry, karate class, do you know what I mean? It's bigger in scope and I think it, it has to sort of elevate itself in, in other ways. Jackie Chan does it. Jaden Smith, I think, I agree with you. I, I, I don't think he's, he's he's the most compelling actor, but he's like, what, 10, 12, do you know what I mean? And I think he's, um, there, there were times where, where Will Smith um, appeared um, a bit too much in his performance but that, but that's fine the kid's 12 and I think he held it together for what he needed to do pretty well um, and, uh, and and like I said the, the the bit with Jackie Chan in the car uh, really really made it for me and I also like the um, the shadow puppet bit as well with um, which kind of deals with the um, with the romance that that Dre gets into because the, the I think in the original the, they were like late teenage I think they were sort of 16, 17, 18 here they're like I guess 11 12 and 13 and that really changes the perspective that, that you can have on things like the romance element and also things like the uh, the fighting that goes on because the, the one problem I had with it was that here you had um, a lot of 11 12 year old kids beating the crap out of each other and it really really looked like it hurt and I was thinking if I was watching this as as 10 or 12 I would probably be really really into it but um, kind of kind of looking at it from with slightly older eyes I, I thought that's got to really hurt. Where, where on earth are their parents? Do you know what I mean? It was a, well, it was a strange reaction. But it sort of addresses that in a sense. Um, there's some sort of sense of you know who the adult role models are for these kids, mm. and 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 how they've influenced these kids. I mean, it's not it's maybe not totally comprehensive, but there's, there's definitely a, a tip to a tip of the hat to it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that it it's more than sort of the um, the uh, the the visual of of these little kids beating beating each other up, and I think it actually plays quite well to that. But whereas in the original you had these uh, much older, much more sort of physically developed, um, you know, I guess you know late teenagers, and it kind of made a bit more sense. It it, it, it didn't make it okay in any ways that they were beating the crap out of each other, but it, it it kind of looked a bit more natural. Whereas here you've got it, it, it's definitely more normal. Mm. I mean, we see a lot more teenagers hitting each other, but but. Uh, Again, let's go back to the uh, nephews I've got that watch The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. They beat the crap out of me. <laughs> I guess Does it make it more dramatic as well that there's actually a sense of, a sense of threat? Whereas where, especially 80s films, sometimes there's no real genuine threat that anyone's actually going to get hurt. There's no threat in the original Karate Kid at all. No. 
but that goes back to the, the to the emotional engagement. Whereas before, in the original Karate Kid, you had um, uh, Daniel, I think was the was the was the little you know the guy's name. He and his mother they had this relationship, but it's nowhere near as as emotionally engaged as it is here in in the new Karate Kid because you you sort of see their journey from the very very first moment. The scene that Brendan and I were talking about, you have this 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 backstory, this reason for them going to China, and it immediately it kind of gets you on an emotional level, and it develops because you have the mother who's settling into this new place this whole new country this new culture and they have to work off each other the one thing that i'm really really pleased they didn't do is they didn't have this um relationship between his mother and and the jackie chan character which i thought was a kind of a way that they were going to go down and uh, and and they didn't but i think that would have been outrageous that would have been outrageous mm. i think this film's secret weapon is probably robert mark cayman who wrote you know the, the, the sort of outlook what of what we see on the screen the shape of it is his mm. and a lot of these emotional beats we've talked about and the way that they're they're laid out will have been his and he's like Besson's uh, right hand man on a lot of these sort of Europa core mm. action turnouts and it, it, it it's it's that dimension to it it's those strange idiosyncratic twists on cliches for want of a better term mm. that, that actually make it work so well I think I mean, I'm not. I'm definitely not making any claims for this being a, a work of genius. But stuff like the bit with the car, stuff like you know the fights between between the kids and so on, are they're kind of fresh. They feel fresh, and they feel fresh at a conceptual level as well. So I think I think Cayman's one of the uh, the secret weapons of the film, and I think the other one is the cinematographer Roger Pratt, mm. who's is the greatest cinematographer in the world. And the thing is, what I liked about that was that he there was a lot of. Um, Obviously, at a lot of locations in China, and they were really, really well done. And it was really interesting to see the way you had these, you know, massive open vistas. You had the Great Wall of China, and you had, you know, the, the Forbidden City, and, you, and you, you had all of these. And it didn't look completely out of place because it went from being very big to very small quite a lot, and that actually worked, you know, incredibly well. And I think it, it, it was because um, the, the the action and the emotion was kind of put front and center, and it was unashamed. It, it, it was kind of like a coming-of-age story. It was like a redemptive story for, for the Jackie Chan character. And it was interesting at every single turn. And what they didn't do was they didn't have wax on, wax off. They had a, they had a nod to it, but they, they well, didn't they rely had, on it. Had a, they had a massive thing. They had jacket on, jacket off. Yeah, no, no. It's, it's, it's hang jacket out, throw jacket down. But at the same time, you could have gone exactly the same way. They, they could have replayed that because that's one of the most famous bits from the original. And you could have had, uh, you know, you could have had the, you know, exactly the same words. You could have had exactly the same beats there. But it, it was slightly different. And well, that, no, no, yeah, they subverted it in the way that they did the thing with the fly and the chops. chops exactly, thing. exactly, yeah. Previous expectations of, of what the scene was and twisted it. Hmm. But what happens with the jacket on, jacket off, what it's so brilliantly because because we've got that little beat. And this whole yeah. thing is just complete cheese. Mm. No getting away from it. But it's a well-executed cheese beat when the mother sees him hang up his jacket. Exactly. So that's a deal. And that's that's brought out of the jacket on, jacket off thing. And it's it's just it's just cute, but it's very nicely... It's tightly put together. Exactly. And and the thing is, the what, what, what lost it for me slightly towards the end is that, you, A, you kind of know what's going to happen and that there wasn't this... You know, there wasn't this uh, enormous tension leading up to the to the final to the final moments because I think even if you haven't seen the you know the last the, the you know the original film, you'll you'll kind of know where it's going. And I don't think it kind of uh, it kept the tension up the whole way, but it, it, it certainly tried to. But when I when I left, I swear there were so many people 
laughing, talking about it, and just having it. They had a really, really good time with it. This is people who don't watch tons of films. They don't um, know the original. They just went in. They had two and two hours, 20 minutes of a really, really fun film that looked really good and, and had a bit of humour, and it had Jackie Chan. Do you know what I mean? So, And it's really interesting because at the press conference, Jackie Chan was talking about um, the fact that you know he wants to teach people you know, real martial arts. He wants a, he wants like a kind of a level of, of, of reality in it, but because he can't necessarily do it himself like he used to, he wants to get into acting. And I think that if he didn't have that particular scene that we were talking about in the car, then um, it would have been pretty much a one note character because he had that. He was um, he was allowed to to show off what he can do because he wants to be the uh, you know the Asian Robert De Niro. I think is his quote that he keeps coming out with. And I think it's really interesting because he he adds an, uh, an element. Um, he has a bit of depth to the to the whole story that actually um, was the was the key for it for me for its success. Um, I was just going to say, have you either of you guys seen Shinjuku Incident with Jackie Chan, a film that yes, came out last year? That's of course that's his big play towards uh, you know the next phase of Jackie Chan's career as he as he has believe. And yeah. that was quite deliberately conceived to offer him a, a dramatic platform, wasn't it? Quite, quite, quite clearly. Oh yeah, I think it's a yeah a very deliberate move, but one that I think actually worked really well. I mean, I I was really impressed by that, and it, I was wondering if Karate Kid had the kind of more of Jackie Chan actually acting uh, in a more dramatic sense. Um, it, it, it's and it, not, sounds, it's, it sounds like it does, but. It's it's not like that. It's not like that. This film is pitched at a, a popcorn level. Mm. There's some humanity and characterisation at work here, but it's still pitched at an altogether more popcorn level. And this moment with the car is effective, but it's in a style. Mm. You know what I mean? We're not mm. dealing with. We're not. We're not heading into something a bit more. You know, we're not heading into something a bit more grounded in the way that that Shinjuku incident does. Yeah. I mean, um, Craig, are you planning to see this one for any reason? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to see it because it's Jackie Chan. I mean, I'd, that's not a given. I uh, I can't remember what it was called, but that one where he wore a wore a suit that gave him powers. I never watched that. Um, so there are Jackie Chan films I'll I'll avoid. But um, but yeah, I definitely wanted to check it out. I, I wanted to ask as well uh, about the runtime because obviously a fair bit's been made I suppose about the fact that it's it's reasonably long for what it is mm. did you guys notice that is the pacing good is it um, for me I didn't I was never bored during it um, and, and this is a film that I obviously know you know I know what's going to happen and I, I wasn't sort of sitting there ticking off okay that scene's from there yeah no, it never happened, did it? And 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 that was, I mean, th- and this kind of, um, you know, talks uh, speaks to the to the nostalgia element, the kind of thing that we've talked about before, in the sense that if you if you're going to remake something, um, expect a lot of criticism from you know before you've even shown anything, expect criticism from the people that you cast. If you make a good film, it, it'll stand as a good film, and that's the kind of thing that the the, the Karate Kid does really really well. I think it. It, it does, you know, it nods quite well, but it's it's an effective film and it is well paced. And it's never ever boring. And, and like I said, I saw it with you know people that had their kids and it was like it was packed, and there was no no one was getting bored even during the bits where there wasn't any fighting. Do you know what I mean? Like there's the romance bits or there's you know the um, it was just it, it kind of really cracked on. And I think that there was um, there was a, a, an awful lot to it. It was 
it wasn't groundbreaking, but it was just nicely, it was nicely rich, I think, in, uh, in all the right ways. I'd say, Craig, uh, it's the second American Jackie Chan film I've seen this year. I mean, I watched them all. I've seen the tuxedo. I, I'm not going to wimp out like you. I put myself through this. <laughs> and I went, it was it, was um, it worth it, though, Brendan? Was it worth it? Yeah, it was. It was, because now I've seen it, and I know what goes on, and I know what you did. <laughs> I've got an evaluation. And I went and saw um, The Spy Next Door as well, uh, yeah. you know, with Billy Ray Cyrus as some sort of, you know, crisscrossing double agent traitor, sticking up our man Chan. Um uh, you know, which raised a couple of smiles, but was, was kind of weak, <laughs> right? This is definitely his best American film in, in, in some time, the, the Karate Kid, definitely in some time. Probably as far back as Around the World in 80 Days, actually, was probably the last American film in which he got to showcase some abilities to anything like this degree. Mm. And if you remember the scene where he makes the painting in Around the World in 80 Days, and it's like a little showcase for him, I think the thing with the, uh, the kid's jacket in this... Mm. in a similar way yeah yeah do you, do you think as well that uh, perhaps like we were saying before about the, the maybe the dramatic element and you said it was quite small but do you think maybe this is his American introduction to that that we might be seeing a, f- a few more slightly dramatic features from him in, a, in America it's hard Jackie Chan to not be Jackie Chan in America I think he's he's a post mm. name with a certain expectation he's got a long way to go before Americans will start start treating him that way I think what we'll be seeing in American films is Jackie Chan turning up and doing the dialogue, and then Jackie Chan's stunt double doing the stuff that we expect from Jackie Chan. I think he's still going to be marketed to Americans in the same way. Which I think is a bit of a shame. Don't get me wrong, I think that his, his enthusiasm for, for what he does, both in the martial arts and I think also in the acting, kind of comes across in, in every single way. But he will get pigeonholed, and I, I think it will take quite a brave director to cast him in something and quite a brave studio, you know, if they'll have it to cast him in anything other than you know, this kind of role where he can slightly show off his, his dramatic side and his dramatic capability but actually, when he does all of his kung fu, it looks fantastic and you kind of get that thrill because it's Jackie Chan doing it, do you know what I mean? So Uh, Fantasia Festival was held uh, in July in um, in Montreal. Craig was our man out there. He got um, he got out there and he saw um, quite a few films, I believe, and also had a few had a few interesting run-ins. Craig, tell us a bit about the festival itself and tell us about a couple of films that you saw. Um, yeah, well, it's uh, it pitches itself as um, North America's biggest genre festival, um, which I don't know, maybe it is. It, I I always thought that was fantastic. But it could well be Fantasia. Um, they're in their 14th year now, and the, the lineup of films they have is just just amazing. It's for someone like me, it's just geek heaven. Uh, just so many films that you can see, and such a kind of diverse selection. Um, they opened the festival this year with Sorcerer's Apprentice, which was a little strange, but uh, kind of semi-appropriate. And also, they had the um, they had the premiere, Canadian premiere, so it was a pretty big deal. And they closed off with uh, Scott Pilgrim, which was, again, um, the Canadian premiere. But in between all that, you could see a Serbian film, you could see The Human Centipede, you could see Land Before Time. Um, so the the programmers have got really interesting tastes, and uh, they, they pull out some incredible films. Um, the Probably the two standout ones that I saw whilst I was there... Um, that I think were the most interesting walking away from the festival was um, Red, White and Blue, which is Simon Rumley's latest film, 
and a Serbian film, which I wouldn't say was necessarily anywhere near as good as uh, Red, White and Blue, but it's a fascinating film, definitely, uh, and a very strange film. But, um, yeah, Red, White and Blue uh, is definitely my recommendation from the festival. It's absolutely stunning, and it, it's playing Fright Fest next month, so uh, there's a chance for Londoners, certainly, to get to see it. Well, that's what I was going to say, because you've got... I know that we're going to... Um, I actually got my ticket for, for Red, White and Blue just this morning, so um, I think you, Brendan, and I are, are going to be there. Hopefully we'll get a chance to, to maybe chat to the director as well. And This is all during our coverage of Fright Fest, and um, Human Centipede and the Serbian film, these are the kind of films that, that get known um, before they hit the festivals, and I think it's really interesting to see if they live up to the hype, particularly with a Serbian film, because um, that is playing Fright Fest, isn't it, this year? It is, yeah. It is, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to decide whether or not I really need to see it twice, whether a second time is such a good idea. But um, was it, was it as, uh, Does it sort of deserve the notoriety that it's, that it's gaining at the moment? I think, I think it kind of does, to be honest. I mean, I, I, whenever I see a new film that's considered notorious, there's always that kind of feeling of almost a letdown because... Not because you want it to be extreme necessarily, but you, if you get a lot of hype and a lot of people saying this is, you know, the messed up, the most messed up film you'll ever see, um, you kind of have expectations walking in. And I think I've become very kind of, I don't know, hardened to the kind of things being a shock in films, uh, being surprised that they're in them. But a Serbian film did make me not jump, but kind of gasp a couple of times, like, Oh God! They're actually doing that, and and especially the ending, which I won't I won't give away. But I should have seen the ending coming. But at the same time, I, I think part of my brain just went, "No, that's not going to happen." So uh, it, it, you know that won't be the ending. And I was actually shocked at the ending, despite the fact that afterwards I thought, "God, that was really obvious that that was how the film was going to end." But um, it were not quite the ending, but a bit before that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there are some just brutal scenes that um, are just going beyond beyond taboo breaking almost I'm, I'm kind of there's part of me that's surprised no one's done some of the stuff before but then not shocked because uh, who would have thought it would get through any censors and it's uh, that's another intriguing thing whether anyone's going to see this film after festival runs because um, I can't see the MPAA letting it through and I don't know even the even the um, kind of more laid back more but the FBA don't have to let it through. That's oh, that's true, I suppose, yeah. I mean, Hatchet 2 is apparently going out unrated, so, you know, mm. that's actually part of their marketing plan for the thing. Oh, really? Mm. I mean, I have to say that I'm looking forward to seeing that. I was looking forward to seeing that is is not quite the right road because that, uh, in, in contrast to you, I've become a lot more squeamish about the things that I see. And I, I mean, in, in, Have you bought a ticket, John? Uh, no, I haven't bought a ticket yet. Um, I'm going to have to pick my Fright Fest uh, viewings pretty well, but um, I'll, I'll definitely be seeing it one way or another, I think. Uh, and we can maybe talk about it after Fright Fest, because obviously uh, on, on the podcast and on the site, we're going to do a hell of a lot of, of Fright Fest coverage, because there's an awful lot of good films coming out. I think it'll be a really, really great time. Brendan, I think you're, you're, you you booked your seat that you always have every I, single I, year. Fingers crossed I'm next to Craig. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I'm like my food and drinking from here, here and there, where he's... Uh, already seen the movie and he doesn't want to see it twice but but for the most part Craig I'll be um, 
I'll be sat next to you. You'll be a wingman. Okay, awesome. Good. Um, <laughs> in that case, I want this is a, this is something I want for the podcast. I want your reactions. You can record on your phones. Want your reactions before or your your expectations before, and your reactions are quite you know afterwards. That'll be good fun for us. Uh, and then we'll talk right. about it. You'll definitely see me there as well. So um, you know, maybe we can do an episode live from Friday. That would be that would be good fun. Um, I definitely want to hear what uh, Brendan, what you think of a Serbian film as well, particularly. I'm well, quite intrigued. I'm very excited. Yeah, I've got to say, I <laughs> am excited. It sounds to me like some filmmakers have said, you know, we're dealing with something, we're dealing with a, a national history, a recent national history that is hard to impart. You know, it's like a filmmaker coming out of the Holocaust or something and saying, how can I ever possibly come close to conveying the horror of this? I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> do, do you know? Well, what I mean? Yeah, that, that, uh, I think. And if, it, if that does leave people absolutely staggered, then then good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's yeah, it's a punch to the gut feeling when uh, a couple of moments. But I think one of the problems I'd say I did have with the film, um, which uh, my review should go up uh, late this week, that, that I kind of touch on, is that. The the director said a lot about the political ideas that he was trying to get across in the film, and I'm just not sure they're up on the screen. And uh, that's a serious think, problem. But does that mean that it's all, yeah. it's all gratuitous then? The kind of things that they're doing it doesn't have a. I'm not saying everything has to have a you know political you know message behind it, but does that mean that some of the things they go for um, sort of made a bit redundant or made a bit cheap because of that? I'm not. I'm not sure they're redundant or cheap because I think I may maybe I'm a little alone in this, but I think maybe. It can't be gratuitous because, in a way, boundary testing, taboo breaking is is interesting enough for, yeah, that's, for a film it, like that, this. that's never gratuitous, is it? I mean, it's no. it, it's a culture's. I mean, it's 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 a culture's requirement to do that to itself. I think really. Yeah, it's kind of pushing, changing the zeitgeist, and you know, pushing those boundaries. Getting, I mean, I don't know if I want those taboos breaked. I don't know if I want those boundaries pushed, and to sit there and watch them, but. But I kind of applaud it for giving it a go, I th- and I think, I yeah, I, I think the political subtext thing. I'm, I, I left it thinking, really, if if I didn't know that already, would it have been going through my mind? I think it would have been because of the title. Um, yeah, I think it does. The title's a declaration. Wait, doesn't it? It's the title's a declaration, isn't it? It is a Serbian film. It's just, it, it says it all in the title. But I don't know. I I think I'd be searching for that subtext rather than than just finding it i think which okay. is but it, but it, even if even if that was his intention to a small degree and it's a little bit there i mean i applaud that too because that's something that i i love in films and uh, there's filmmakers who've done that and it's it's a great thing in films but i, I don't think it's a necessity i think it's a shame if mm. if that is the case and it's not really there but um i think the film's got enough on its shoulders, really, anyway, <laughs> that that kind of make it worth worth watching and, and certainly of interest. Okay, well, that sounds. Very t- tell us a bit more about um, some of the stuff that happened out uh, out there in because the, I, I believe one of the things that they were talking a lot about was that you were going to get to sit down with Ken Russell. Is that right? Did you see the Devils as well? Because that was playing there. Yeah, I did. I, I saw too. They had a kind of a Ken Russell retrospective almost, and he was awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award, um, and. Yeah, I got to see two Ken Russell films on the big screen, which was uh, The Devils and Lair of the White Worm, which are uh, two, two very different films. Yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> White Worm? And it, what so, yeah. would you choose that one? 
<laughs> well, it was. Do you know? To be honest, the reason one of the reasons I picked Lair of the White Whale was it was a thirty-five mil print, which I'd never seen. I'd only ever seen it panned and scanned on video at home, and uh, I've got a little bit of nostalgia, which I know what you guys feel about that. Uh, but uh, for Lair of the White Whale, and I got to watch it with Ken Russell, and I have to say, listening to him singing the Dampton Worm song whilst the credits rolled just made it worth worth going along that that was definitely worth it why did they um, put it on i mean unless it was a complete retrospective and i mean a oh, complete no, no, they, retrospective, yeah they they played what well, like they played loads of ken russell films so it was it was one of very many so no no it was yeah they were just being completist i think but i don't know lair of the white worm i actually found really fun i i haven't seen it in years i used to watch it i don't know, I must have seen it about 20 times on video uh, years ago but I probably haven't seen it in about 10 years so um, it was quite fun re- reconnecting with it and it was actually a lot more fun than I remember find- thinking it was fun because it was terrible and funny but watching it this time I was like oh it's not actually some of it's not actually that bad it's quite what entertaining did you make a few grants performance do you know not as bad as I remembered it's it's not good but um <laughs> Yeah, I I remember just laughing constantly throughout the film at Hugh Grant, but um, he's still pretty funny in it. But uh, but they're all pretty bad. I mean, Peter Capaldi is pretty bad in it, and he's a great mental. actor. So. Mental. I can't remember where it's coming from. No, it's yeah. It seems like he might not know what he's doing. Almost, it's bizarre. But yeah, I mean, the the worst actress, the worst uh, performance in the whole film is one of the actresses. I can't remember her name. She's just terrible. She's it's like she's reading cue cards the whole time. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, they they're doing this. Ken Russell's got this whole kind of North American tour going on. He's going to, I think, at the Lincoln Center in New York, are doing an event called Russell Mania, which uh, I was assured is nothing to do with Russell Mania, um, and. And not even inspired by that, which surprised me. Oh, they but, must um, have known. They must have known. That, that's too close. No, no, no. no, no they, they, they kind of laughed and were quite shocked when I told them. But um, <laughs> that would seem to be anyway. But uh, yeah, so and they're having a big retrospective. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's at the Lincoln Centre. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's some sort of weird kind of Ken Russell revival all of a sudden. Oh, well, okay. that's good. Um, yeah, team Abbey's garage. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I've got contact to you, know, Craig, because he owes me a photograph. He owes you a photograph. Yeah, um, of, of what? Do I want to ask? Is it a nun? Of, uh, of him, actually. Some years ago, I was in uh, I was in London. I was going up Regent Street. It's some years ago now. I was going up Regent Street, and as I got towards the end, I saw Ken Russell stood there, and I thought, oh, it's Ken Russell. I'm going to say hello, ask him how he's getting on. I think Bodicea was what he was supposed to be working on at that time. With Sarah Ferguson, Fergie in it, so I go and ask him how he's getting on, see what's going on. And as I approached, I realised, oh, it's not Ken Russell. How very odd! It's just a man who looks like Ken Russell. There was a bloke selling like nuts, you know, like they have these nut people. <laughs> and it was like on the corner of Oxford Street, the Regency. Suddenly, this uh, this sort of this sort of car, you know, it, it sort of stopped, but I sort of paid attention to it. Sort of got the door open. Ken Russell got out of the back of his car. And um, I was sort of like stood there reeling, and as Russell sort of stepped up, looking at this guy, going, "You know, my God, man, you look just like me." I was just sort of stood there with my mouth hanging open, and um, uh, uh, gave me a camera and asked me to take a picture of the two of them, and I gave them both my address, and neither <laughs> of them sent me a copy. 
So you could have played <laughs> out, Craig, when you were out there having dinner with yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, maybe next time there's a revival. Craig, ask him where the hell my picture is. <laughs> I'll try and get in contact. <laughs> That's a nice random encounter. There, so um, and seems typical of a, for a Ken Russell thing. So, all right. Yeah, um, I'm quite good at seeing people who aren't actually them. You know, like how that 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 moment in my life there, I thought I saw Ken Russell and I didn't. Once I was walking across London Bridge and I thought I saw Michael Winner, and when I realised it wasn't, I also realised I started holding the bottle in my hand like a weapon, and I could now relax. We're um, going to be rounding up uh, Fright Fest, I think, because that, that's happening in a month, isn't it? It's happening at the end of August here in London. Yeah, it's the bank holiday weekend. Bank August. holiday weekend, yeah. So we're, I mean, Craig's going to be there, Brennan's going to be there, and I'm sure there'll be uh, a healthy podcast which comes out of that, and I think there'll be a lot of coverage on uh, on both of our sites. So um, really look forward to that. I think it's going to be a lot of um, a lot of good films coming out there, some that we've talked about already, and some hopefully that are going to be new and going to be surprising to us. So um, that's going to be good fun. Right, okay, chaps, we've covered Fantasia, we've covered Cry Kid. We now move into our Rip from the Crypt for this week. This is the section of the podcast where we uh, champion a film that um, we feel hasn't been given the love that it deserves. Uh, we usually ascribe a theme to, uh, to the various different films that we're going to pick. This one, for this week, we are going to look at films which mix live action and animation. So some of the more recent examples, um, uh, terrible examples, are things like the Garfield films and, and Marmaduke, and there was a... A hideous trailer for, for for Yogi Bear, which uh, which came out just this week, which you can see up on the on the site, and it was it was terrifying. But it's it's the way things are going now. You've got the Smurfs coming out, where they have CGI Smurfs, exactly the same way they have CGI Yogi Bears, and um, they look pretty appalling. I have to say, even Hank Azaria as uh, as Gargamel doesn't seem to be able to save it. So, um, but there was time, and there are a few films in the history of, uh, of cinema where they successfully mixed live action and animation. Um, so I'm going to ask uh, Brendan. Let's go with you first. What's your rip from the crypt for this week? Okay, um, my combination of live action and animation is slightly different than the way you as a shot described it there. Um, it's not sort of live action plates with animation put into it, a la Mary Poppins mm. or Roger Rabbit or whatever. Mm. It's live action that has been animated, or oh. as it's called, pixelated. P i x i double l a t e d. Um, and the, the film I am nominating is uh, The Secret Adventures of Tom Thumb by Dave Borthwick and the Bolex Brothers. And uh, it's got a live action cast, but they're all moved frame at a time. Some of the characters are little stop motion puppets, but they're animated in the same way, so everybody's consistent with one another. That sounds bizarre. Do you know what? I think I've heard I think I heard of this film just this week. I think someone mentioned it, but I've never seen it. When, when was it when was it done? When was it released? Uh, at some point in the mid nineties, the BBC commissioned a ten minute mm. sort of version of it, and then when they saw it, they sort of like, oh no, and they sort of shelved it, and then this played at festivals, and people went nuts for it, and so excited were people by it that the BBC didn't just air the ten minute version; they commissioned a feature length version. Um, so it would have been around about, I imagine, ninety six, ninety seven. Okay, I've got a feeling that I've seen it because I think that I've, um, I, I can picture it. Is it? How long is the is, is the finished film? It's a little over an hour, I think. Not much. Yeah, okay. um, and there's um, there's uh, you know, I mean, a little fellow in a gas mask. Remember that chat? And the little Tom Fun looks kind of. Is it a bit? Is it a bit scary? Is it a bit? It's a little bit creepy, yeah. And it's yeah. a little bit like you know, people have compared it to to, to David Lynch, which is a bit mm. of a misconception. But there, there, there's definitely something. 
of the Eraserhead baby in some sure. of the... Um, it's quite a powerful film. One of the most notable sequences is a game of darts. How the hell do you pick a game of darts? I don't know. Uh, but they did, and, uh, and brilliantly. Um, and the Borthwick, uh, Dave Borthwick and the Bonex Brothers, their next film was, rather distressingly, the Magic Roundabout CG movie. Oh, man. Now doing um, an adaptation of the Fabulous Fairy Freak Brothers. Right, uh, OK. Grassroots mm. coming along. They're probably not going to be done with that until 2012 or so. They're still looking to get the money together, but I'd be very surprised if they don't. I'd be very interested to see it, because I saw the Magic Roundabout CG film over Christmas this year and um, hated it. I thought it was uh, an abomination. It is. It's, it's bad in every every single way, and it's, it's, it's exactly how you don't do filmmaking, animation, writing, everything. It was, you know, all of it was terrible, and I was, I was watching it thinking, this, this can't get any worse, and I'm surprised to hear that if it is the same people who did that, then... Did, did, did the top thumb I'm surprised to hear it actually yeah, it's precisely it's precisely the same people same director what a if, you buy, if you buy the DVD of The Secret Adventures of Tom Thumb you get one of their short films called The Saint Inspector which is really rather good and it's about some automated bureaucrat that goes around and evaluates whether you're a saint or not <laughs> um, it's it, that one lives somewhere between the Grand Al and uh, Terry Gilliam by way of a Valerian Borovchik but I think uh, I think that they're very interesting people, the Bolex Brothers. I think Dave Borthwick's a, uh, a very interesting director. Obviously, they were dealing with people like the Weinsteins when they were making Magic Roundabout film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they probably just wanted to finish the thing. It was mm. like put their face for a cheese grater. Now, quickly, just as a little footnote, um, there's a short film I was going to actually uh, nominate as well, but we, I couldn't find a copy of it, and it's called One Year Performance Piece, 1980 to 1981. And it's made. Uh, it's made by uh, 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 a gentleman, Sam Shea. I can't pronounce his name, um, unfortunately. But yeah. what he did is he punched a time clock in his studio every hour on the hour for an entire year. And as he punched it, a photograph was taken of him. So he created a sort of a six-minute film, which is a sort of a prototype of all of these things we now see on YouTube where people's beards grow and so on. Mm. And it's one of just a number of one-year performance pieces he did. I mean, he tied himself to a woman in a room for a year, he spent a year in a prison cell and was voyeurised and all sorts of... So he did a number of these one-year performance pieces and then in this one, starts with a shaved head, lets the hair grow out, changes his posture, changes his attitude, changes his spirit get broken. Interesting. Well, I mean, I'm going to be putting up the... Um the, uh, the trailer for Tom Thumb and uh, Brendan if you have any other ones that you want to want me to put up on the post for this then do send them through because that would be really interesting to see um, Craig let's uh, let's get on to your one uh, for now what's your, what's your live action animation ok my pick I've got uh, one pick and a couple of honourable mentions because uh, I'm not sure there's that much I can talk about with the one I've picked um, it's Jan Spankmeyer's Alice um, which came out in the late 80s and it's a mixture of stop-motion animation and live-action, um, which I'm guessing still falls within the rules. Is yeah, that yeah. right, John? I think you're fine. Yeah. You can go with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when I was trying to decide what film to pick, um, I, I think I joked with you guys about how I just couldn't get Space Jam out of my head, not because I liked it or wanted to choose it, but just because every time I think of live-action blended with animation, I just my brain is flooded with all the terrible examples um you know films like the upcoming marmaduke film um yes. which just look like they're going to be awful and um 
there's so many of them um but yeah uh so i decided to kind of send my brain off in a completely different direction and alice is a, a very strange film to watch it's it's not really for kids i wouldn't say it's a it's a little bit scary if you're a kid um Jan Svankmai takes the Alice story and, and makes it... I'm not sure if he makes it dark or whether it, it, the darkness was already there, but um, he he kind of forms stop-motion characters out of everyday objects. Um, so you've got, like, use of socks and, uh, like, the rabbit looks a bit... a bit <laughs> kind of decrepit and has bits of sawdust coming out of it, uh, which he has to keep stuffing back in. Um... And, like, the March Hare's only got one eye, I think. Uh, and, yeah, it's just... It's a really interesting film. And if, you, if you're not familiar with uh, Svankmai's work, it's probably a really good introduction because um, you're kind of familiar with the story, I imagine, already, most people. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my recommendation. OK, that's great. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen it. I've, I've, I think that what? we've... Well, I think... Yeah, that, yeah. I, I, do you know, to be honest, when I, when I was picking them, I thought, oh, should I pick that? Because I reckon John's going to pick it. No. I actually thought this would be... Well, well no, because um, I, think, I think, Brendan, you've recommended this to me in the past. I have, yeah. I think you have, and it, it wasn't on a grip from the crypt, but I think, you've, I think when we were just talking about... We were talking about, about Alice. Yeah, yeah, we were, weren't we? And, um, and you recommended it to me, so I haven't obviously got around to, to checking it out yet. But, Alice weekend. I think we just need an Alice weekend, mm-hmm. yeah. Weekend in Wonderland, because there's... It wasn't that the didn't I say there was a Dennis Potter version of was it Oz or was it one I can't it's, remember. It's Dream Child. It's about um, Child, Alex Dibble as, as you know a, a, as a real individual. Because mm, I it found that one recently. Henson uh, features Henson created versions of, of Wonderland characters. Exactly. Yes, I, I think that there are so many versions, and I, to be honest with you, I think we would need just to sit down and uh, and go through them all. I think just. To, because it, it, in in some ways, because the story is so well known, exactly like with with the Tim Burton one, you have to you have to do something slightly different. You have to you know make your stand out in some way. And it sounds like this one you're recommending Craig does. In sort of oh yeah, it's I mean, in part due to a unique visual style. If you've if you've seen any Spank Mai, you'll get the you get the idea of what you what to expect. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great film, absolutely fantastic. Um, so yeah, you should definitely check it out. And it's short; you could watch it. Watch it pretty quick. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> like it's the Secret Adventures of Tom Thumb, actually. I think. Um, yeah. I, I don't know that I wouldn't show it to children. I think I would show it to children. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, I, I think it's. Um, yeah, I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to necessarily say definitely not, but I wouldn't immediately recommend it for children. I think it might. I, I'd pick the children, maybe. Well, not that you can pick the children. <laughs> you know what I mean. Can't I wouldn't show it to all children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All children. <laughs> Next time we see you sort of loitering around the children's <laughs> park with a recruit for a screening. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I was just going to tape see a film, that's it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, and the other two films that I was going to mention, uh, one which was my initial choice, but I decided probably best if I don't keep picking Japanese films every week, um, was Avalon, a Memorioshi film. Uh, rubbish well you see I don't think this, which is another reason again I didn't pick it I don't think the plot and a lot of what should be good in the film is good but one thing that I did really like about the film was the way that he blended the live action with the animation um, and he worked with uh, Polish actors and actresses and one thing that I read that he did was actually manipulated uh 
like there's layers of animation over the film. And uh, from what I understand, he, he actually almost changed the facial expressions in post-production to get perform- a better performance from the actors and actresses, which um, seems a little strange and a little unnecessary that maybe he could have just got the performance he wanted. I, I also think it's also a little bit of an urban myth. I wonder if it might be, but but I think a lot of the ways the animation is blended with the live action is, is really interesting, and I, I kind of wanted to see a lot of that, but done... Um, in perhaps a better film, because I think those elements of the film are really good, even though there are some slightly flawed elements, or very flawed elements. Okay, what are the other ones that you picked, the honourable mentions? And the other one isn't technically a mix of live-action animation, but there is a link, which is uh, The Thief and the Cobbler, um, which is a film that's not really been released in its true form. Um, It's directed by Richard. It never can be, because it was never completed in its true form. No, not not quite. But um, yeah, it's done by Richard Williams, who uh, worked on uh, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is my tenuous link. Um, and yeah, it's a completely animated film, and there is a kind of a reconstructed cut that uh, was made by a fan. And you can watch that, although obviously I don't think legitimately you can watch that online. So uh, no, it's definitely no. worth. Garrett Gilchrist, who's re-edited it, has done, done a pretty good job in creating a simulacre of what the film might have been like. But there are several important plot points still not there, several sequences incomplete. There's a lot wrong with that, that cut, but uh, not as much as is wrong with the uh, sanctioned Weinstein uh, uh, Nazi Party release. Yeah, I mean, that one's terrible. They kind of inserted songs and everything and renamed it. I think... Um and they make yeah, think, have a voice, which is the worst. Yeah, yeah. I I think if it's a film that you're probably never going to see as it should be intended, so I think that the recobbled cut, as it's called, is is probably worth checking out just to see a, a glimpse of what could have been. So um, okay, yeah. but you said I mean, if we can't see that legitimately, people have to search for it and, and check their conscience before they do, right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how. It, it, not legitimate it is but um <laughs> you can do a google video search and it pops up straight away Fair so it, it it could be taken down quite easily so. it's, bl- it's blatantly illegitimate and it's illegal on any number of counts but uh ethically i think you're probably completely in your right <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, That's right. <laughs> yeah. Quite. okay um thank you for those i'll, I'll obviously try this up as much as possible for my picks um i'm as usual going to be a bit more conventional um than uh, the new guys. These are these are two because um, uh, I have got two, and they sort of share a uh, share a theme. And it's two films. Did you pick I, Space Jam, John? I didn't pick Space Jam. <laughs> Every bone in my body rebelled against any kind of picking of Space Jam. Um, it must have. Been, it must be Kangaroo Jack then, surely. It's not Kangaroo Jack. It's not that conventional. <laughs> it's actually it, it, it's a couple of films um, that do have mixtures of, uh, of live action animation, but not at the same time. Uh, they both bookend with uh, with, with with live action. Um, uh, and uh, have animation as they as, as they the main page thing. master with Macaulay Culkin. No, it's not the page master <laughs> either. Um, the two films I'm going to that I'm going to recommend people check out are Phantom Tollbooth and uh, the Water Babies, because they're films that I very much enjoyed as a kid, and I think that they haven't been uh, remembered quite as uh, as fondly as uh, as as I would like. the The Phantom Tollbooth was um, uh, was Chuck Jones. He actually um, 
produced uh, and, uh, and and directed it in uh, I think it was about the late sixties I think I think it was um, released in the in nineteen seventies it was it was an MGM uh, animation film and um, I think it was their last it, uh, according to uh, something that I've read it was one of their last um, an- animations at the time I think it kind of killed it a little bit um, it's based off the uh, the Norton Just book which um, which if, if you ever get a chance to read it it's really really hilarious it is just about this kid who receives this package and he opens it up and it's a toll booth and he goes in he, he kind of goes through it and he enters this um, this sort of magical magical universe and um, it has it, it, it's what it does with um, with the universe when he goes through it because once he's um, once he's through it's all animation in the film before it's all live action and he goes through it as you'd expect it's nothing particularly crazy um, but there's a lot of really really interesting um, elements that happen when he actually goes in to uh, go, goes through the Phantom Tower you have um, kingdoms uh, cities um, Digitopolis and um, and Dictionaryopolis and um, you have a watchdog which is just a, a a watch it's called talk and it's got a massive you know clock in its body and stuff like that um uh, there are sort of dark depressed areas called the doldrums and it has quite you know quite cute little songs in it and i have to say that when i when i read it because i i hadn't read the book before it's actually really it's got full of full of puns and uh just a really really playful playful tone with it and and the film even though just didn't didn't like it apparently i think it does um it does pretty well and it's kind of charming and a bit silly and the songs are quite catchy but no one else seems to really uh seems to really like it very much but i always have fun with it. I think there are a couple of really nice uh, really nice scenes to it as well um and the reason that it kind of sprung to mind was because there has been talk of a remake um about this one coming out and i would imagine they would do something similar i think you would definitely have um uh, you would definitely have live action and animation. I'm just worried that it'll continue the trend of being like, you know, uh, Garfield and Marmaduke. But you know, we'll have to see what happens with that. But so that's my first recommendation: Phantom Tollbooth. It's a great book and it's quite a quite a fun film as well. I was um, really taken by it. It's not the kind of thing that you see necessarily every day, so um, I enjoyed it a lot. Second one, The Water Babies, which is perhaps um, a bit more of a conventional choice. Many people would have would have seen that. I saw it um, when I was very very young, and then I rewatched it again about uh, about a couple of years ago to discover that the that the two villains of the piece were James Mason and Bernard Cribbins, which is a you know, an absolutely fantastic combination. Um, these two people were just, you know, bumbling, silly Victorian sort of, um, uh, you know, con men. And um, they basically take this boy and he, they, they turn him into, uh, he becomes a chimney sweep for them, I think. I can't quite remember because it's been a while since I've seen it. Basically, he goes into this house. He gets chased away because he's accused of stealing something. He falls into a river to escape and he goes down and in the in the ocean it's all animated and basically it's all about him getting back um getting back up to the surface and it's really quite charming it's really quite sweet but the thing that i remember it it scared the crap out of me when i was a kid because you had billy whitelaw who's um who plays a couple of roles in there um as uh, sort of a maid of the house and also she's supposed to be some sort of guardian for this other world and there are moments where she's standing by by the river um and it really really does freak you out i have to say and it certainly freaked me out as a kid in a very similar way to like turn of the screw sort of standing by the river not really saying very much just looking ominous and eerie but the um the animation bits are actually really really quite fun and again has you know quite silly songs and it it, it kind of hangs together quite quite nicely as a film but no one really seems to remember it so that's my other recommendation um chaps have you seen either of uh, either of those two films 
I knew you were going to choose the Water Babies because uh, after Lionel Jeffries passed away, we had a little correspondence about it. Sure did. Um, so that was an obvious one for me. I knew you were going to go for that. What I think is really interesting about that one is that to get to the magical land, you've got to die. Mm. And that's that's quite an odd message for a children's film. Well, this is what I'm talking about. You have Billy Whitelaw standing over, sort of urging him to jump in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean... It's kind of it's kind of a very very disturbing story. I think actually, I think it's a very disturbing story for the reasons you you talked about. Also, because it it sort of you know, I mean, it was sort of set up as a, as a sort of a satire against child labour, and it comes from the time when that was commonplace, yeah. and we don't remember that now. And it's sort of strange that this sort of artifact of children being sent up chimneys. It's an entertainment for children. And I don't mean that the film belittles it in any sense. It's just this weird sort of cultural shift that's taken place. And I think that, the, that certainly the original book and also the film have suffered from this sort of strange shift in that there's going to be an adult generation that's slowly fading, or I'm sure, or getting older, that can sort of connect to these sort of more disturbing elements of subtext. And then for the children, they're kind of harder to relate to and they're not quite sure what's going on. Yeah, it's kind of showing its age, isn't it? What about The Phantom Tollworth? Have you seen that one? I have, yeah. And I do think um, Dave Mulhern, who directed the live-action stuff, does a terrible job. Mm. As far as I know, it's the only thing he's ever directed. He used to write uh, cartoons at Warner Brothers. And um, uh, um, he's not much of a director. So that really, really stifles it. And I don't think that... To borrow a couple of words from the film, I think it is quite alpha-beautiful but I don't think it's mathematical. I think that it's very nice to look at and there's some good stuff in it, but it doesn't transport. It hasn't got that magic spark of wonder, mainly because there's not a lot of impetus behind a lot of stuff. It's sort of one thing after another a lot of the time, and there's there's not much of a driving series of narrative questions that are going to keep you hooked. Yeah, Craig, what about you? Have you seen either of those? No, I'm a bit in the dark, to be honest. I think perhaps I've probably seen them when I was younger, um, when I was a kid, but I certainly don't remember it. Um, no, I, I'm not familiar with them at all, I'm afraid. Let me, let me lend them to you next time I see you. Then you can give me a yeah. certain film in the human centipede, and I'll give you those two. How about that? <laughs> that seems swap, like a good swap, yeah. <laughs> okay. I think War Babies is kind of, in a sense, it kind of is the, a Serbian film of its day in a funny sort of way. Maybe not of 1978 when the film was made, but when the story was originated, and it's this sort of story about something terrible happening to children, intended as a political satire. It's just very odd to me that it's got kind of a bow on it, and it's sort of dressed up as a children's story. It is, and, and it has, but it has a really unsettling feeling, and in some ways maybe it's because it seems so out of place and out of time. I mean, you have, you know, as a, as a kid, I remember me and my friends we used to, used to enjoy it partially because you had these sort of you know funny crustaceans you know cartoon crustaceans singing about it and having you know having lots of silly fun dancing under the sea and everything and that's all fine but the the um, the uh, above world point the, the the live action scene they do contain something not quite right even through because there's a very early scene in it where he's um, he's looking into like a magic show and uh, like like a, a Victorian sideshow, and they're sort of showing people in the you know past this this um, this pole with a glass box on it, and in the glass box is a head, and he kind of peeks behind the curtain and sees that actually it's all a charade, it's all smoke and mirrors, and um, but there's something really unusual and really 
off-putting about seeing this woman's head just sitting in this glass box. Do you know what I mean? They're like looking at that for entertainment. Yeah, so. It's really weird. Do you think? I mean, I think it sort of tries to be about the ethic of re- reciprocity. Explain. Well, that's the whole. You know, you should treat other people as you want them to treat you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where all the do-as-you-would-be-done-by and all that sort of stuff comes from. Yes, I would say. But is, is that, that, that's not the main thrust. And that is, is, I'm no, trying to think do, at the end. You think that is, I think that's what it's support, supposed to be about. It's like, why are we doing this to kids? And I think it's just sort of really weird that it kind of gets lost behind this sort of... I mean, I mean I'm not criticising it. I just find it really odd that mm. this behind some sort of like weird freak show facade, for want of a better term. Yeah, but and I'm just thinking that uh, you know, at the end when everything kind of gets wrapped up and there is, you know, he becomes part of the household, and I don't know. It, it, it seemed to me that when when I was watching it again, second time, it was just about uh, this this boy who died, and he never he, he you know all, all of this stuff below the sea and all of the stuff that happens afterwards um, is is potentially his afterlife, his heaven, do you know what I mean? It's almost as I, I think that's it. definitely there. I think it's definitely there. It's just this really strange... There's this turning point where there's this kid, the only realistic interpretation is that this kid is dead. Mm. That's it. And and the whole journey that he goes on with the... You know, it has got some, some very nice songs. Kids, don't don't worry about it. It's not like it's not completely, you know, dark and... And, uh, and and horrible, but it just it had a bit of an element which which I you know if you stack it up against the Phantom Tobleth for example, it the Phantom Tobleth does does not have that. It works much better as a book. Whereas if you I haven't read the original Water Babies, but if you've read, if if you've seen the film, you'll you'll know there is something um, bubbling underneath, and you can read a lot more into it. And it's actually um, it has far more meat on the bones if you like. So, um, but like I said, mixture of live action animation. It's 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 not as as playful as something like you know Mary Poppins or Roger Rabbit. Um, you know, or anything like that, or uh, Anchors Away. Is Anchors Away the one with Gene Kelly and... Uh, and Jerry Mouse. Yes, yes, I mean, it's yes. only a small part of the... I saw that, that, that section and just uh, thought that was fantastic. But you, but you have got things like... Um, you've got a few... Uh, it's a really interesting genre, because you've got... Does anyone remember Cool World from about the oh, early yeah. 90s? Yeah. A, a really, really strange cast to it. But also, you have got... Um, I think I recommended James and the Giant Peach as well. I think that had a bit of live action animation crossover as well. And I think it's, um, it can be used pretty well. It seems that the YouTube picked out ones that use it slightly differently. I love the notion of using live actors, you know, as, as if they were stop motion puppets. I think that's, I think that's just fantastic. And it's interesting when animated characters are brought into to live action as well. And, and I think where the world things are, is a kind of an interesting recent one of, mm. one of those where we've seen them as animations or, or prior to that, of course, illustrations, mm. but Lionel Jeffrey's film before, um, uh, your water babies was of course, Wombling three in which we see, uh, see the Wombles as people in suits. And that, it's got a very strange feeling to it too. In fact, I feel compelled to buy that on DVD right now. I feel the urge, um, and I think that's that's going to be a recommendation for me too. People who know the little stop motion wombles wobbling about, yeah, yeah. Well, you see this very curious film Lionel Jeffries made with people in suits playing them, interacting with human society. And I think you'll be you'll be left if you watch that and the Water Babies. You'll be left thinking that Lionel Jeffries was a very, very odd man indeed. Right, I think I think we're done for the for the podcast uh, for um, 
for this week. We seem to touch on quite a lot, which is uh, which is pretty good. Uh, coming I up, rambled. I'm sorry. No, no, rambling is good because it was uh, it was instructive and, and, and fun rambling. So, um, okay, uh, let's let's tie a few things up. Um, you can uh, find everything that uh, that Craig and I do on HeyYouGuys.co.uk. We're also on Twitter at HeyYouGuysBlog, and also we're on Facebook as well. Uh, you can find uh, everything Brendan does over at Bleeding Cool. Um, there's some sterling work going on, including an excellent uh, artist rendition of a recently pulled photograph from the Rise of the Apes set, where you had Andy Serkis walking in alongside um, uh, James Franco, and it had to be taken down. And you've replaced it with uh, an artist's impression, which in some way is linking live action and animation there, Brendan. So well done for that. I think we might go back as well as we get a little bit closer and wetter and working on the digital. We might just sort of colour it in to look a bit more like a chimp. Just to reflect <laughs> progress on the movie. <laughs> I think that would be great. Okay, um, you can uh, you can always get in touch with us at mouthoff at heyyouguys.co.uk. There's plenty of good films, plenty of interesting festivals coming up as well for the summer, so uh, do keep checking back. Leave a review on iTunes or check out our forums. Uh, I'm sure you know what to do. Uh, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Magic is alive.